0: Hey everybody, it's so good to be with you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Herrick and I'm one of the pastors of Restored Church along with Tom. And I want to welcome you wherever you're tuning in. And uh, we are in the middle of a series called Jesus Is. And we've been exploring the Gospel of John and we're looking at who Jesus is through all the stories that are revealed in this beautiful work uh, of antiquity that is so fresh to us. And if we really get it, it speaks to us today. And uh, I'm excited to crack open the text and share something that I feel like God has put on my heart with you. But before I do, uh, would you join me in prayer? I really do want to pray that God would open our hearts to receive what He has to say, that we'd have ears to hear uh, the good news that He is offering us uh, today or whatever you're listening to this message. So will you pray with me? Father, thank You. Thank You that we get to sit under Your Word. Thank You that we have a Word that really gives us a sense of, it reveals who you are. It reveals what you're like. It tells us the truth. It tells us who we are. It tells us whose we are. It tells us what this world and this life is all about. And I thank you that there's so much power packed into the words that we're gonna read today. And I pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, that you would give us hearts that are open, that are hungry, hands that are open like this to receive what you wanna put in them. Uh, Father, if there's things that come up, God, distractions or objections internally that come up, would you help us to work through those as I'm I'm unpacking the text and sharing what I really do think you've put on my heart for the church. Uh, We love you. We thank you. And would your son, Jesus, be lifted up, magnified, glorified through this time. We love you and we thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to start this morning by sharing a, a quick story with you. So about 10 years ago, I met my now wife, Heather, and uh, we were living in San Diego. We were kind of young professionals, and one weekend I got inspired, and I was like, I'm signing up for eHarmony. And uh, it, I had taken a couple years off from dating, and I wasn't ready, and I felt like I was ready. I jumped on eHarmony, and within a few days, I got paired up with Heather. And within a few weeks, we, we met and we went on a, an amazing first date. We ended up talking for like five hours, so much so that her roommate at the time was like, worries, like where are you? Do I need to send like a, uh, do I need to go find you? And uh, we've, we picked a, like a restaurant in San Diego, so a public place where she could feel safe. But we just had a great time. We were just chopping it up. And uh, there were first date sparks for sure. I'm not sure that she knew how to say my name or how to spell it after that first date, but she was into me. And that's all I cared about. So we, we kind of, we took it slow early on for good reason. Um, we wrote, we didn't, we saw each other probably like once a week, but we would write these letters to each other on Facebook and they started like short, like a paragraph here, a paragraph there, then they became longer, multiple paragraphs, and they became letters that we now, we had them, it was so cool, they're like saved on our Facebook uh, accounts and um, we just, we were falling in love essentially and we got a chance to kind of clarify our expectations around commitment we realized we're on the same page only to realize like we're not sure if we're on the same page about church stuff so we had issues to work out which we resolved and on the other side of the conflict uh, i really felt like we came out stronger and i had this sense of like this is it this is my girl we weren't engaged or married yet but i was like i, I think <laughs> she's the most beautiful tender-hearted woman i can imagine her heart Breaks for people. Uh, she's committed to loving Jesus and serving the body of Christ, the church. Um, she, I think she's gonna make an amazing mom. This is where I'm thinking at the time, which is all proven to be true. She puts up with my crazy ideas and dreams uh, for different things, including ministry. I mean, I I was all in on her. And uh, around the same time, I lived with my brother Lewis and a couple of the roommates and our lease was coming up. And I just had the sense like, this, l- this lease that we're going to get into, this is the final lease that I am going to sign before signing on with my future wife, which we weren't engaged yet, but I was convinced of it. So here's kind of like my, my priorities at that point We're like, I don't want to get into a lease where I'm spending a lot of money on rent because it's, ex- it's San Diego, it's expensive. I'm, I have like an entry-level job that does not pay great. Uh, San Diego, it's like the pay versus the cost of living isn't great. And so I could just spend all my money and basically not have hardly anything left over to invest in a marriage, to invest in a wedding, to invest in all these other, other things. So I realized I can't increase my take home pay, but I can decrease my expenses. So I was like, how, how do we get creative? So I'm talking to my brother, I'm talking to my roommate, I'm like, can we find a place with a loft? Just, you guys can have the bedrooms, I'll take a loft and then I'll pay you know, a, a smaller amount of rent. And they were open to that, but we just couldn't. We couldn't find anything that worked, and so we're it's coming down to the wire, and our lease is coming due, and we need to find a place in San Diego. So eventually, like they find this two-bedroom place that they really like, and but they're like, this isn't gonna work. Like, where are you gonna sleep? And then I looked around the room, we're like checking it out. I was like, wait a minute, there's a closet, and there can be a couch. We can make this work. Like this idea came into my mind that. I'll just i can sleep i can put all my stuff in that closet and then when it's nighttime i will go on the couch i'll grab a comforter pull it over me grab a pillow turn the lights off and that's what i'm gonna do that's gonna be my place that will be my room it'll be the living room and the couch that i sleep on and for a year and a half before heather and i got married that's where i slept i slept on a couch and it was it was remarkable looking back on it that i did that for a whole year and a half um, not, it wasn't like a firm twin, like a little, you know, uncomfortable situation. It was a couch, and it was never meant for sleeping. Maybe for the occasional nap. Um, and you know what it was? It was uncomfortable. I would have never considered it. But what happened? What happened was that Heather captured my affections. She, I was captivated by her love, by the fact that she wanted to be with me and that she wanted to build a home and a life with me. And that really changed, like, how I viewed everything. And why am I telling you this story? Today we're gonna to look at a text where Jesus tells his disciples something that like, if they get it, it would change the way that they viewed everything, much in the same way that my world was changed as I experienced the love that Heather had for me. And here's the thing, I think these words that we're gonna to hear today, if you and I get this, if we get this today, I think it can really change how we view our lives, our priorities, our decisions, our schedules, and so much more. So, I want to encourage you, join me, stick with me. We're going to work through this text, and I think there's some really powerful things in here for us to take away. So, we're going to be in John 15. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 17. John 15, 9 to 17. A little bit of context Jesus is giving his farewell speech. Uh, He's basically preparing his disciples for his departure. So we're going to pick up in verse nine. It says this: "As the Father has loved me, I'm going to to be doing this a lot today. I'm going to be using a triangle: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I am not saying that the Trinity is a triangle. It's just it's a little picture that helps me. Hopefully, it'll help you." Verse nine: "As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you." Okay, pause. I know it's just a few words, and you've If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard them before, but I think it's so important that we not run through these verses because there's so much going on in these short, in these just a few words. Think about the love relationship between the father and the son. What characterizes that relationship? How do you define it, describe it? I mean, The words that come to mind, looking at the rest of this text, as I've already chewed on it, and the rest of the scriptures is, the love relationship between the Father and the Son is one of trust, intimacy, joy. There's joy between the Father and the Son. There's trust between the Father and the Son. There's sharing, disclosure. There's partnership. The Father sends the Son into the world, which means that there is purpose and meaning that flows out of that relationship. There is a joyful giving of oneself for another. There's mutual honor. There is respect. There's sacrifice and so much more. That's the, the relationship between the Father and the Son. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I, Jesus, I love you the same way. You and me. He loves us the same way. The love that he received, Jesus gives to us. Think about that. Think about the implications of it. It's staggering. We live in a world and in a time that's characterized by feelings of like loneliness, isolation, a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning, people not knowing how to cope with life. And I know that affects us in the church, too. It affects probably all of us in different ways at different times. We have this epidemic of suicide in the world, and here's the reality. None of that has to be true. None of it has to be true. Here's the kicker. That love relationship that I've just described, that's ours, it's not automatic. It's not automatic. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, remain in my love. What's he saying? He's saying, make God's community of love, Father, Son, Spirit, make his community of love your home. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit puts the, a spotlight on the Son. The Son sends the Spirit to us to do what? He, he includes us. It's no longer a triangle. I don't know what, what happens if you open a triangle, whatever that. was never good at geometry, but where that space that's opened, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, y'all. It's us in it, you and me, and all who make their home in Jesus are now a part of this community of love. Remain in that love, okay? It's like there's a seat for you and for me at the divine table. Sit down, pass the butter. There's Jesus has already picked out the engagement ring for you. Put it on. Let's go dress shopping. Okay, guys will have an analogy later. He built a house for you and for me so that where he is, you and I can also B, make that your home. Learn to live in His love. It's not automatic, but it's for us. It's ours. And if we get this, it changes everything. Let's keep going. Keep that in mind. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in His love. Pause. Obedience. He's talking about obedience. I've already spent time laboring to explore the kind of love that Jesus is describing here so that you can see that the foundation for obedience, it's not duty, it's delight. It's delight. I'll never forget at one point um, when Heather and I were dating, we were a part of a church, and at one point there was a call, like a rally to sign up to serve, and the big slogan was like, it's a joy to serve. It's a joy to serve, so sign up. It's a joy to serve, so sign up. And I think it was completely well-intentioned like, who doesn't want their church to be joyfully serving? Because that reflects what God is like when we serve joyfully, because that's what Jesus likes. So I love the heart and the intent, but I was, if I'm honest, I was sitting there thinking, the joy to serve, is it? Is it a joy to serve? I almost wanted to ask like, why? <laughs> I didn't. I, I talked privately to the pastor about it later, but I was like, why? You could ask that question. Here's the reality. The next verse explains it. Verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. When the love of Jesus, this community of love, when when his love is in our hearts, when we are at home in his community, then it is a joy to serve. We can actually be a joyful church, not just a busy one. It's possible. It's ours. Let's keep going. Verse 12 this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. Remember what Jesus is talking about, trust, intimacy, friendship, that same love between the Father and the Son can now characterize our relationship with each other, our relationships with each other. Verse 13, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. Man, Jesus has shared, disclosed what the Father's like and what he's all about. I think there's a reality that we can be like pretty guarded people, pretty self-protective, and with good reason because we've been hurt and trust has been broken in our lives. But within this eternal community of love, the Father, the Son, it's one of sharing. It's one of sharing. It's friendship. I remember spending, you know, when I was, I don't know, in seventh grade, uh, you know, hours on the phone just talking to friends, just sharing, and sharing, and sharing. And as I've gotten older, I've noticed there's less and less of that. But I've been remembering this, that God is a God who shares, who expresses Himself who communicates, who's vulnerable, who puts himself out there. And I think this is a part of what it means to be human. And I hope that we can find ourselves in that community of love as people who are able to share and who are trustworthy with one another. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. We have to hear this. Okay, the news just gets better. We're his friends. We're invited to love, to intimacy, to trust, to share, to friendship. And then he says, I chose you. So you are chosen. You and I are chosen people. I remember once Heather and I were doing um, some some ministry in our house. There was a couple who was having a really hard time working. They were dating, and the guy was really struggling with commitment. And I remember this, this gal sitting on her couch in tears, broken, because... This, this person that she really wanted to be with wasn't sure if he, wanted, if he felt the same way. And I remember praying for her, and Heather gets this, this picture, this sense of like Jesus saying, I've chosen you. I've chosen you. And it, it comes out of this text. And it's this sense of like, yes, the rejection in this life that we experience can be painful, it can be really hard, but it doesn't have to be crushing because I have chosen you. Isn't that amazing? That's the love relationship that we have with Jesus. If this doesn't get you fired up and excited and joy-filled, I don't know what will. He has chosen you. He has chosen me. And then it gets better. He's not done. This is pure delight, and it gets better. He says, I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. So Jesus, on top of everything else, he gives us purposeful and meaningful work to do. And he's going to see to it that it's fruitful. This, is this real life? Like, pinch me. This is so good. This is such good news. On top of all of this, then he says, again, verse 17, our last verse for today, this is what I command you, love one another. On top of this, delight. Delightful foundation, Love. Man, it is a joy to serve, isn't it? Once we got this in place, it's awesome. Uh, I, hope this, I hope this gets you excited. It's gotten me excited. I, last week was my birthday, and I had a chance to share with my gospel community. If you're new, gospel community, it's a series of relationships. Uh, where we are learning what it looks like for Jesus to be the foundation of our community. And we're working that out together. We're learning to love as we've been loved. We're learning to put this stuff into practice, to love one another as we have been loved with a group of people. My gospel community, I got to share my story with them. And we're doing that as a community in this season to get to go deeper into our love and into family. And as I prepared to share my story, it hit me that far and away, the worst moments of my life, are the moments in my life where I'm scared, insecure, anxious, running around looking for identity, anybody who can make me feel seen and valued and heard and safe, and I have torpedoed my life in that space. On the flip, the best moments of my life have been those moments when I have felt secure in the Father's love, when I have felt secure in this love relationship Father, Son, Holy Spirit, y'all, you and me. Those have been the best moments. Those have been the moments when I have kind of forgotten about myself and thought about other people. And been others-oriented and self-giving. It's those moments where I've experienced His love that have led me into the most fruitful ministry of my life. And so I told the group, I was like, I think a good sign for me is when I'm like kind of waxing poetic about the Father's love when I just can't even get the words out, when I'm just floored, and, and you, trying to find language to describe what God is like and how good He is, that's a good sign for me. I wanna remain in that space for the rest of my life. I wanna remain in His love, and I want that for you too. And I bet as you hear my words, you probably want that too. Here's the thing, like I was saying, If we do not remain in his love, if you and I don't remain in his love, if we don't make our home in his delight, in his friendship, in intimacy with him, it will cost us. It will cost us. And here are just a few ways. This is by no means comprehensive. These are just a few that I was prayerfully considering and I want to share with you. Number one, obedience will become drudgery and duty. Instead of having a mindset of like, Jesus Where are you going, and can I please go with you? The sense of partnership, excitement, adventure. It becomes, what do I have to do? Okay, I'd really rather be doing something else, but we'll do it. Even if we wouldn't say that, that's kind of how we feel at a heart level. Obedience can become drudgery and duty if we miss out on making our home in His love. Here's another one. Intimacy with God can become a transaction intimacy with God can give way to a transaction, actually. God, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. And so instead of a loving union, we get lawyers and contracts involved. And then we'll have a little escape clause just in case things don't go well or God doesn't hold up his end of the bargain. Man, I'm speaking from experience. Uh, Here's another one. Fruitful ministry gives way to a platform to prove yourself. Fruitful ministry gives way to a platform to prove yourself. It no longer becomes about Jesus and His people and this community of love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, y'all. It doesn't become about that, but it becomes about me and my ego and image. And I may even violate Jesus' words and His ways in pursuing that as I minister and I can use people to feel good. Again, I'm not speaking as someone who's above that. I'm saying if I don't abide in his love, that's what I'll do. And that's what any, anyone will do if you're in a position of, of influence. If you have any ministry, really. A couple more. God's commands, if we're not delighting in his love, they can become heavy and taxing. It can feel more like we're in, a, in the military taking orders than being a son or a daughter who is learning from dad how life works best. God's commands can become heavy and taxing if we don't abide in his love. You may serve other people, last one, but there are strings attached. You may be so starved for love that you will use control, manipulation, coercion, whatever, to secure love. Even though you're already more loved than you can ever dare imagine. It's just unbelief in God's love for us. Actually, one more. You may become bitter and unforgiving if you have forgotten how richly God has forgiven you and the fact that he doesn't resent you or me. He's generous in his forgiveness. What am I saying? The stakes are high. If we don't remain in his love as he instructs us, we suffer, but it's not just us. Others do as well. But if we build our home in his love, we can actually have passion. We can have a sense of adventure, of trust, of intimacy, of friendship, of deep love towards God and each other. That's ours, but it's not automatic. Maybe you're thinking, man, I get this wrong all the time. It seems like I look for, look for love in all of the wrong places. And I just want you to know I get it. I'm right there with you and at any point I can slip into that. But I have good News for you. Verse 13 says this No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Lay down his life for his friends. Sound familiar? Who does that make you think of? Well, for me, it makes me think of The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. If you have never watched the movies or read the book they are amazing and they basically tell the story of four kids and these four kids they stumble into a wardrobe that actually like sends them into like a an alternate reality another kingdom and this is a kingdom where there is a white witch who is she she rules with control with power uh, she has brought on this kind of never-ending winter that's made life miserable for all the subjects of the kingdom and so these kids stumble into this kingdom and they have no idea that these four kids are actually prophesied about. And the whole kingdom is waiting for them to show up. And when these four kids show up, it actually spells the beginning of the end for the white witch. And so the white witch ends up tricking one of these four kids into bringing the others into her palace so that, because her plan is to kill them. Because she's like, if I kill them, then I'm not going to be brought down. And so she tricks one of them, Edmund. And so Edmund, who for Turkish delights, basically num-nums that the white witch offers, he sells out his family. And here's the part that none of them understand. In this kingdom, that kind of treachery where someone commits a treacherous act like that, it's punishable by death. The white witch now has a claim over that person. So, Edmund just sealed his own fate by committing that act of treachery against his brothers and sisters. And it's an amazing story because in the midst of this, they meet Aslan, and he is the rightful king. Aslan, actually, he he loves these children, and he knows that Edmund, rightly, he must die. So he cuts a deal with the White Witch. And what he does is, instead of Edmund dying, he says, Aslan says, I will die in his place. I'll die in his place. So the White Witch, all the darkness of this fallen kingdom, falls on Aslan, and he gives up his life, and he dies. And there's this powerful scene in the movie where you see this, he's a lion. I don't know that I mentioned that yet. Aslan's a lion. He's not a person. Where he's lying, and he's... He's obviously gone, and then two of the kids are like running around him, embrace him, and they're crying. And they turn to leave, and then the ground shakes. And before you know it, they turn around and like, where's Aslan? He's gone. And then they look up, and as the sun is rising, they see him. He's risen from the dead. And basically what happened is, he rose from the dead because he gave up his life for another person. There was a whole lot of, these, of this world that this white witch did not understand, that if an innocent person gives their life for someone else, and they're innocent, they get to, they, they rise, they'll rise from the dead. So Aslan had outsmarted the white witch, and he had redeemed Edmund. And so there's this one, there's a scene after Aslan rises that two of the kids, you know, he's a, he's a lion, but they like wrap their arms around him and they're just kind of like cuddling with this line. And he's, he's powerful, he's strong, he's mighty, but they're just with him. They're just holding on to him, they're, they're like embracing him. And I just want you to hold on to that because obviously, Aslan is a picture of Jesus who gives up his life for you and for me. And while we may not realize it, we're a lot more like Edmund than we ever realized, we commit treachery too. Uh, Some of us have compromised our discipleship to Jesus for a boy or a girl, uh, someone that we were interested in romantically that caused us to basically walk away from Jesus for a time. Some of us have compromised our relationship to Jesus, our discipleship to Jesus over money or a job, that we've sacrificed everything else for this thing. Uh, Some of us have compromised our discipleship to Jesus to nurse, nurse grudges, actually, or to fight or to be in conflict or to nurse pride. Uh, some of us have compromised our discipleship to Jesus through having a greater allegiance to a politician or a political party than to King Jesus himself. All of those are essentially like Turkish delights. They're little num-nums, essentially. And we have compromised for these small things that we look to, that we trust in. But what we have instead is an, a king who gave up his life for us, whom we can actually embrace, whom we can lean up against, and the beautiful part is, Aslan sent Edmund back into his service. He actually became one of the, Edmund, at the end of the first movie, he's sitting on a throne, the four of them, ruling and reigning. Aslan had restored him into his rightful place as a king. And that's what Jesus does for us, for you and for me. He makes us kings and queens. No matter what we've done, no matter what, how we have fallen, no matter how we've betrayed him, He makes us new people. He invites us into this community of love. And he puts y'all right in the middle of it. It's just remarkable. It's amazing. And Jesus is the Son who obeyed the Father all the way to death. He did that for us. Just like Aslan was obedient all the way to his death, Jesus was obedient all the way to his. So he could atone for our sins and we could be brought back into the community of love. If that doesn't get you jazzed, I don't know what will. And if we really get that, that's the kind of love, self-giving, self-forgetful, honoring, gracious love that would take an Edmund and put him on a throne and then set him into a life of service and purpose. If we get that, then that changes everything. That changes the way we look at every opportunity, our schedule, our time, our money, all of it. Going back to the, how I opened this message, think about the couch. Just go back to the, st- remember if you remember, I slept on a couch for a year and a half. Why? Because of, I, was, I was wrapped up into a love story. And when I got captivated into this love story, I would basically give anything for it. What is that couch for you? What in life right now do you feel like Jesus is presenting to you, offering you, inviting you into that is uncomfortable and it may make you think like, I don't know that I want to do that. But if you were to be swept up into his love, swept up into this great story of the father loving the son, the son giving up his life for you and welcoming you into this community of love. And now leading you to learn to love others as he has loved you, what might you do that you wouldn't otherwise do? What act of love and obedience might Jesus be calling you to? What's your couch that you would otherwise bypass? We're going to use the couch as a picture. I'm going to flesh this out a little bit. So think about you and the couch. Maybe for you, it's resting on that couch. Like legitimately, you need a nap. You need a Sabbath. You need a break. You need to stop achieving and stop producing because it's actually getting in the way of you receiving His love. If you knew that you were loved in this way, could you breathe a bit, slow down and rest, and maybe say no to that other thing that your boss or whoever is asking you to do that will take you away from family, from community, and that will ultimately endanger, jeopardize, your discipleship to Jesus, because you don't have time. Could his love actually guard you in such a way where you you can go on that couch and just take a nap? Something that would be very hard to do otherwise. But if you're convinced of the love of Jesus for you, you could do it. You could stop. How about for some others, maybe it's like sitting down next to someone on the couch, someone that you have beef with, that you're in conflict with at this point, someone that you're fighting with, uh, it could be, if you're, if you're younger, it could be like a sister or a brother, or, if, or even if you're adult, it could be someone, a brother or sister in the church, or a spouse, or a coworker, or a neighbor, or somebody that you have conflict with. Someone maybe that you're like really struggling to forgive, or that you might be tempted to just kind of push away out of your life. If you knew that you were loved, if you knew that you were forgiven, if you knew that you were called to be a peacemaker in this world because Jesus had made, has made peace with you, at grace cost to himself. I think that would help, wouldn't it? For you to sit down on the couch with that other person or those other people that you've had disagreements with and not get up until you've done everything in your power to make peace insofar as it depends on you. Could could you do that? I think think so. I I feel like we could do this. Uh, Maybe for you, it's sitting down on that couch with someone that God has put in your path and on your heart to love. Maybe somebody who's difficult to love even. Maybe it's the ministry of listening, of sitting down, of, of really listening with curiosity, with attentiveness, with no judgment, with no like, like resisting the inner need to fix this person who's in front of you, but instead empathizing with them and praying for them. And then if God puts something on your heart, actually humbly sharing it with them. That's loving ministry. That's love. And it's more powerful than you think. And I think for some others of us, that, that, that uncomfortable, sacrificial thing that we're being called into potentially, that couch that Jesus' love would actually lead us to, to embrace. Uh, for you, it, it, it might actually be something more akin to what I talked about earlier, which is that in, within the community of love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, y'all, now there is a sharing that happens. There is a disclosure. The Father discloses Himself as a friend would. And so maybe for you, it's, it's being a friend in that way. Sharing your hurts, your pains, your sorrows, your fears, your insecurities with people. Or on the flip side, tell, sharing the celebrations and the joy that you have in Jesus, in this world and the gifts he's given you. So the distinction here is an important one. So maybe it's not just for you, it's not just giving yourself for other people. In other words, to serve them. To, like some of you are, many of you are amazing at that. Here's the other side of this. It's maybe for you, like that couch is giving yourself to others. Not just for others, but giving of yourself to others, giving them who you are, your heart, and sharing that so that they might love you. This is especially important for those of us who really, really are gifted in helping and loving others. We need to receive too. So maybe that's the couch that you need to sit on, is just to pour out your heart and receive. Man, could you and I, could we be the kind of people who sit on the couch, it's uncomfortable, it's not what we would pick, but we're so filled with the love of Jesus that we would sit on that couch to make peace with others, or sit down to rest, or even fall asleep, as we realize we don't have to work for our identity, but we've been given one as a son or a daughter who's loved before you do anything. For others of us, could it just be sit down and listen to other people on the couch and love them, not try to fix them. Or for some others of us, could it be to sit down on the other couch and receive the love of Jesus as you unpack with someone? I bet you all of us could do this if we were resting in the love of Jesus. You may even find out that it is a joy to do this because you realize that you are experiencing Jesus through this person that you're with. And Jesus is a friend who invites Others into God's community of love, and He makes us into friends who invite others into God's community of love. As we receive His love, we will undoubtedly reflect it. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'm going to transition us into a time of response, a time of prayer. And I'm just going to encourage you that if you feel like any blocks, any sort of resistance coming up as you're listening to this, uh, something, anything that would keep you from receiving the love of God, I want to encourage you to set aside some time this week. Even If you can't do it right now, totally get it. Maybe set aside a block, 15, 20 minutes to just pray and ask God, what's going on? Why is it hard for me to receive your love? Maybe we take a, a step of, of faith and ask some people to pray for you. Or maybe you bring it up to your gospel community and just, just unpack like, this was hard for me. There's a block Please pray for me. I want to receive his love, but it's just hard right now. And obviously, I'd love to help you if you have questions or want to chat more. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to transition into a time of worship. Father, I thank you that you are good, that you are merciful, that you are kind, that you love us, that you are delighted in us and that we get to delight in you. That our service, our joy, our love, It's all flowing from who you are and what you've done for us and who that makes us now in this world. And I thank you, Jesus, that you showed us what the Father is like. And you have invited us. You are the friend who invites us into this community of love. And I say thank you. And I speak for so many who are listening right now and just say thank you, Jesus. We love you. We're not worthy, but we are so glad that you have loved us in this way. Thank you. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we transition to worship, I really do want to encourage you wherever you're at to raise your hands, raise your voices, and pour out your love and your affection and your devotion to him who loves you, who gave up his life for you to welcome you into his community of love. And that could just change everything as we experience it. Love you, church. Grace and peace to you. Hope you have a great time worshiping him and the, during the rest of this week.